another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, who has borne witness, and, and, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things to you that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works of the Father, the Father has given me to accomplish the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have heard. You have never heard uh, from this. Uh, let's try this again. <laughs> and the father, John is, is very much this way. He gets, you know, twisty and turny with the wording. So the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have uh, his word abiding in you for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in, my, in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will, that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? That's a mouthful. Okay. At least it's not all one sentence. <laughs> that is fair. If it was one of the epistles, that would be a possibility because Paul really, really likes run on sentences. And they're allowed in Greek. They're not, in English, it's bad grammar. In Greek, it's fine. Oh, it's, uh, yeah. Okay, so Jesus is saying what? I am not the one that, would, I am not the only voice testifying of myself, right? If that were true, well, <laughs> that would be reason to doubt me. Uh, but he comes doing the will of the Father, right? He's not seeking to do his own will, but that of the Father. Now, is his will different than that of the Father? Well, they have their own individual wills, but they are aligned. <laughs> Unlike our wills with God, they are unaligned because of sin. So uh, in the beginning, you know, Adam and Eve, their wills were aligned with that of God. In the resurrection, our wills will be aligned with that of God. Uh, but right now they're misaligned because of our sin. So uh, Jesus, though, uh, does the will of him who sent him. 
He says, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. Well, who's he talking about? <laughs> right? I mean, you, you, we, when you keep reading, you're like, wait. But is it, is it the Holy Spirit? Is it John? Is it Moses? Yes. <laughs> so he says, there's another one, but then he's like, uh, and there's more than that. Here you go. Uh, so we know that the Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus. And John in his epistles really picks up on that theme um, that the Holy Spirit points us to Jesus, directs us to Jesus. Uh, but, of course, John has already come preparing the way for Jesus. I, I, I was just thinking about this. You know, we talk about different types of Christ. So in the Old Testament, there are things that, that point forward to Christ. That is a type of Christ. So like the temple is a type of Christ. It points forward to God dwelling with his people in the person of Jesus. Um, David is a type of Christ. He is the king of Israel, but the big, true, real king is Jesus, right? So the type points forward to a, the, the greater thing. Um, I was thinking about John and the Holy Spirit. You know, I think John is a type of the Holy Spirit in that he, his whole thing is what? Follow Jesus, right? Preparing people for Jesus. And what is, uh, you know, what does the Holy Spirit do? Calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Christ in the one true church. So, you know, he comes kind of as a um, forerunner of the Holy Spirit as well, doesn't he? All right, so the Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus. John the Baptist testifies of Jesus, but Jesus also makes that move to say what? Moses testifies of me. Why is that a big deal? Well, they could have dismissed John. Well, it's, it's a man, right? Others have claimed to be prophets. Maybe he was a false prophet. Maybe he was wrong, right? And, and even though John was popular, you know, popularity comes and goes. He could become very unpopular very quickly. Um, so they, you know, they, they, they could dismiss that if they really wanted to do that. But uh, it's not so easy to dismiss Moses <laughs> because they all look at him as an authority, right? In fact, the authority in a lot of ways. So when Jesus says that Moses testifies of me, uh, now you got to reckon with that. Can't dismiss that, right? Okay, so um, verse 33. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth, right? So here's one of the witnesses. You, you, you asked John, and what did he say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not that the testimony uh, I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. So how did John know to testify of these things? It was from God, right? So even though the testimony came from John, from a man, it was not testimony from man, but testimony from God. 
uh, in part, you can go back to the baptism of Jesus, right? What happens at the baptism of Jesus? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And so John testifies, yeah, this is the one. Okay. Uh, Verse 35, he was a burning and shining lamp. And you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Uh, Now we're back to that light and darkness theme that we have back in John chapter 1. Right? The darkness, um, the light came into the world and the darkness could not uh, comprehend it, could not uh, grasp it. Um, So here John was shining the light of the Lord and they rejoiced in it for a while. Okay? But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. Uh, the very work that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father sent me. Okay, so what things testify to the reality that Jesus is who he says he is? Okay, the prophecies that are fulfilled. Now we can look just within the Gospel of John here. What things do we see happening? Signs, signs everywhere, signs. Uh, Oh, maybe that's not what they were talking about. Yeah, the signs, right? The signs that testify. So what was the first sign? Water into wine, right? That was the first sign. Remember, that's what John calls miracles because they point to the reality that Jesus is who he says he is. So the first sign turns water into wine. After that, we, we can just walk back, back through John here. You can turn back and you can see. Um, so you have the, the water into wine back in uh, verse or chapter, uh, chapter 2, the very beginning of that. Um, you have the cleansing of the temple. Um, you have, um, okay, we've got to skip Jesus teaching uh, Nicodemus and um, all of that. But then you get to um, chapter 4, right? Jesus knows all about the Samaritan woman before she's um, experienced, you know, before she has even met him or so she thinks. Um, you have the healing of the official's son. Oh, here's another sign that shows he is who he says he is. You have in chapter 5 the healing of the man at, by the pool of Siloam uh, who is made well by Jesus on which day? The Sabbath, because Jesus shows he is Lord of the Sabbath. So we have all of these different signs that testify to the reality that Jesus is who he says he is. But for us, we get to cheat because <laughs> we know the whole thing, right? We know the whole story. What is the ultimate sign that Jesus is who he says he is? The resurrection, right? You can't explain away the resurrection. That is our hermeneutic. That is our apologetic 
that is the thing that we hang our hats on, that we say, well, you know what, if somebody could actually disprove the resurrection of Jesus, then we do away with all this Christianity stuff. It's, it's bunk. Uh, but, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, right? Jake? <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, even as he's doing those things, it's not because he's seeking to glorify himself, but he's seeking to do that which the Father has sent him to do, which glorifies the Father. Yeah, that's a good, good, good thought. Okay. Um, verse 37. And the Father who sent me has borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his voice you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. All right, so Jesus says, you haven't heard his voice. Now, some did hear his voice at the baptism of Jesus, but maybe these are not among them. <laughs> uh, but what's his, what is his real point here? What is the, the, it's, it's not so much that, but what's the point of you don't know his voice? If you knew the voice of the Father, you would recognize it's the same thing that I'm saying. My voice is the voice of the Father. Right? So Colossians does a good job of, of showing this, uh, that Jesus is the, uh, the very image of God. So if you hear Jesus, you hear the Father. If you, um, you know, listen to Jesus, you're listening to the Father. Um, so, um, but they're not recognizing the message, the voice. They are not, um, the, the word does not abide in them. Because they do not believe in the one whom he has sent. Now the next verse is really really clarifying on that. Verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Right? You're looking through the whole Bible trying to find life. And you're missing the point. Can you read the Bible and... And read it in such a way that it doesn't actually benefit you. Oh, yeah. If you're reading it and thinking that it is merely, here's, here's a whole bunch of rules. You follow these rules. You do all of these things and you can get right with God. You've missed the point. Right? Because what do those rules show you? You haven't done that. And if you only read it and you, re- you come away hopeless because... Um, you only are seeing the law and you're being crushed by the law and recognizing your own sin, well, then you're still not reading it correctly, right? Because it should ultimately lead you to, yep, I am really, really, really a sinner. But God is gracious and merciful, and in him I do have forgiveness. So I'm going to confess my sins to the Lord. I'm going to receive his forgiveness, and, uh, and I have peace because of Jesus. So Jesus says, you're, you're reading the scriptures. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. But you, you could, <laughs> but you're, you're missing the point of what the scriptures actually say. 
because they bear witness about me. Okay, so who is the Bible about? Jesus. How do most people read the Bible? Who is the, who is, who is, who is the, the main person, the main character in the Bible? Me. me. <laughs> we tend to read everything through the lens of me. So we read the Bible and we're like, well, what does it say about me? How does this you know, speak to me? What do I believe that this is saying, right? And so it's me, 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 me. When there is a place for that, of course, but it, you, know, you look at like David and Goliath, right? And people read that and they go, see, I'm like David. Nope, nope. You're like the Israelites that are saved by David <laughs> who were too afraid and unable to um, go and compete against Goliath. And Jesus goes and does it for you. You're not David. You're the Israelites who were cowering in fear. Um, So when we read the Bible, we we tend to want to put ourselves in that position of hero, though. I can be like that. I can do these things. Instead of God has done these things. Jesus is the hero. And, uh, you know, having it actually be good news. Like, really, really good news. Okay? Um, <laughs> verse 40. I do not receive glory from, the, from people. Remember, he did not entrust himself to the people after his um, miracle because uh, the testimony that people give about him will be fickle. It will be here and there and change. Uh, but, verse 42, but I know that you have the... I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? So, you are looking for glory from other people. You're looking to get built up by them. For them to say good things about you. Well, good thing we don't have that problem anymore. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is one of the downfalls of a lot of pastors, that they seek the glory of the, you know, the affirmation of, a, of the congregation. And so they won't say what God says if it might make people mad at them, right? Because they're seeking the glory of others, not the glory of the only God. Um, we do this in our own lives when instead of doing what we know God has commanded, we choose to just kind of go with the flow because we don't want to upset the people around us. We would rather, you know, sin against the most holy God instead. (laughs) Okay. Verse 45, do not think that I will accuse you to the father. Okay. Jesus says, that's not my job. I don't have, I don't accuse you. And, and you think at this point, he's going to say, oh, that's, that's what Satan does, right? Uh, because actually, that's what that, 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 that uh, title means, Satan. It means accuser. So that's what, when I'm reading it, that's my first thought. Oh, yep, yep, yep. He's going to say the devil is going to be the one to accuse. But nope, nope. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you set your hope. He, didn't, he takes them all the way back to Moses again. Like, remember, you guys, you, you believe this stuff from Moses, right? That's what you say. Well, Moses accuses you. And what does he mean by that? 
What does he mean by Moses? Is Moses like up in heaven? He's like, you are really bad, right? No. What does he mean by that? The law. The law written down by Moses, documented by Moses from God, right? That accuses you. And that's true, isn't it? The law still accuses. In fact, there are Lutheran confessions would say the law always accuses. Because it always shows our sin, doesn't it? Even when it's third use of the law, right? Where we're, remember the uses of the law, first use of the law, a curb, right? Kind of restrains evil, keeps society from just going off the rails because people know that there is kind of an ultimate judgment that's going to come. And so, um, you know, people tend not to murder because they know there's going to be consequences if you murder. Um, But it doesn't completely stop evil, but it restrains evil, right? Then the second use of the law is what? A mirror, right? The diagnostic use. It shows our sin, right? SOS shows our sin. It's like uh, you go into the doctor and the doctor tells you what's wrong with you, right? The law tells you what's wrong with you. It doesn't tell you what you would like to hear about yourself. It says what is. Okay? And then you get to the third use. What's the third use? What's that? Rule or a, or a guide, right? So now... What does God want you to do? Well, he tells you. <laughs> His law tells you how now to live, right? So now we seek to live according to God's law. That's the third use of the law that really only applies to Christians because only Christians, Christians can actually do the will of God because we have faith, we have the Holy Spirit within us. But even with the third use where you're like, okay, well, I really want to serve God now it still ends up kind of coming back to the second use a lot because you go, oh, well, yeah, but I, I failed to do that very well, right? I want to be a good dad. Well, man, I, I really lost my temper with my kids when I was trying to do devotions with them. Uh, <laughs> you know, this isn't going well. <laughs> uh, so the law always accuses. The law is always revealing, right, the cracks. It's always showing the sin. It's always demonstrating that we are sinners in need of a savior. Uh, and so uh, Moses, you know, the law of Moses functions in that way here. The, there is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. The law can't save you. Right? Is the law bad? No, the law's really good. The law is holy. <laughs> Problem is we're not. <laughs> on our own, right? This is why we need Jesus. So the law is necessary to keep reminding us we are sinners in need of a Savior, so we keep looking to the Savior in faith. Jake? Uh, just thinking about these verses previously about how Jesus is saying, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. Mm-hmm. So um, Jesus closes it out there, uh, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So they would say, we do believe his writings, but Jesus is saying, well, 
you're demonstrating that you actually don't. Um, you know, there's people that say, well, well what I, I believe the Bible, but their beliefs and their actions certainly show otherwise. Um, that was, that, that's not new. <laughs> that was the case back then, too. Okay, thoughts, comments, questions, anything on chapter 5. Okay, let's get into chapter 6, and goodness, there's a lot in chapter 6. Um, I do appreciate that the new updated three-year lectionary doesn't delve into um, Jesus as the bread of life for three straight weeks, like it used to be um, in the, uh, the older one, because, man, after the after the, the first week you've preached it, after the second week you think you've preached all of that that you could possibly preach, and then you get the third week and it's like, I'm picking the epistle because I don't know what else to say. Um, but in chapter 6, you begin with bread, and then Jesus transitions to, well, here's the real bread of life. And uh, it's, it's very similar to what we encounter with the woman at the well, isn't it? I want the water of life. Yes, of course. Well, do you even know what that is? <laughs> uh, and so Jesus is going to show by, uh, another sign, right? And the sign will then lead to his testimony. And the testimony will then lead to a whole bunch of people walking away from him. <laughs> they don't like the message. They don't like what Jesus says about himself or what Jesus uh, says about uh, being the Messiah. So let's dive into that. Chapter 6, verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea, sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. All right, back to the signs, right? All these people following Jesus because he's doing these signs. He's healing people, right? Well, it would make sense. If you, if you see these kinds of signs that you would want to be near the one who is doing those signs, wouldn't you? Okay, verse 3. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Now that should not just be a, that's not a throwaway line, Right? What's the big deal with the Passover? Is there any bread involved there? <laughs> Unleavened bread, all right? Here is this meal that you are going to eat, and God's going to have his judgment pass over your homes because of the blood of the lamb on the doorposts as you are consuming the lamb and the unleavened bread, and this is the way by which God is going to set you free from slavery as well. Huh. Well, what do we have in the Lord's Supper? By the blood of the lamb, the judgment of God passes over us. We eat the lamb, which is the bread. Uh, and because of that, we are set free from slavery. All right, there's a lot tied up here. And Jesus is going to kind of expound upon this whole theme of bread. So, um, and, and then there was an annual tradition, right? You had to gather together and you would all eat this meal together. All right. Verse four, 5, lifting up his eyes then and seeing what a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, 
Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Tell me Jesus doesn't have a sense of humor, right? (laughs) Hey, where's the Kroger, right? (laughs) Jesus knows there's nowhere you can get enough bread to just go and buy it to feed this whole crowd. He knows this is not the realistic way of doing it, right? Um, uh, so verse 6, he said, to, said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. <laughs> uh, oh, man. And I love that the, the disciples, all, you know, when he tests them, they, they pretty much always fail miserably, which is great, because that's us, right? We get this test, and we're like, yeah, Lord, I'm going to, oh, oops, sorry. Yeah, I messed that one up. Okay. Uh, verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 denarii would, worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. All right, so a denarius is about a day's wage, right? So 200 denarii would be like more than a half a year uh, of wages. He's like, ah, we don't have that kind of cash sitting around, Jesus. And even if we did... I don't think the local baker has enough bread on hand to be able to do this thing, right? One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy who has five loaves, uh, barley loaves and two fish, but they are, what, what are they for so many? So I love this because he's like, well, there's this one like sliver of hope where like this guy has a little food, but I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> because this is, again, this is us, right? Jesus, this is, is insurmountable. I don't know what to do with this. I, there's nothing. I, I, I got nothing. And, but I'm going to bring it to you. Okay. Now, I, love, I like, too, the little detail that we get in John that you don't get in the, any of the other gospel accounts. What kind of bread was it? Now, what, who cares? Why is that a big deal? Because barley is the bread of the poor. Barley was the stuff that the peasants, the poorest people, ate. Um, the wheat bread was the stuff that you wanted. <laughs> the barley bread was the, the kind of bargain basement stuff. Uh, so the fact that he had the barley loaves indicates now he is coming in poverty. Uh, but he puts what little he has in the hands of Jesus. So, um, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, and about 5,000 in number. He leadeth me beside the, what? And green pastures. Ah, leads me to the green pastures and the still waters. And oh, here we go. This is Jesus being the good shepherd, isn't it? Now, in one of the other gospels, it says he looked at them with with pity because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Well, the shepherd has arrived, right? Sit down and eat, right? Here's the green pastures. We're going to make sure that you have the food that you need to eat. Okay. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Remember, that's just the men. Women and children don't even count. 
Um, all right. Uh, Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. Now, this distribution is an awful lot like the Passover. It's also an awful lot like the Lord's Supper, isn't it? Well, how can one Jesus be enough to feed all these people for thousands of years? (laughs) Well, how can he feed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish? Because he's God. It's not a big deal for him, right? This is not a challenge for Jesus. Verse 12, and when they had eaten their fill, so remember at the beginning, they're like, hey, if we had two denari- 200 denarii of, of money, we could get maybe a little bite of food for everybody. But now they've eaten their fill, right? They have eaten enough where they're all like, uh, no, 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 I loosened my belt already. I don't need any more. Can't fit any more in. I'm good. Um, after that, uh, Jesus said, Uh, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. (laughs) All right. Not only was there enough for everybody to eat, but now after they had eaten, there was more than when they had started. So I, this, this is, a, I think, a good reminder for us of, of what stewardship actually looks like under the, under the kingship of Jesus. We think when we put something in the hands of God, well, that, it, it's gone, right? I've given it. It'll never, you know, I'll, I'll never have that back. Uh, but the reality is uh, he uses that, and he causes blessings to abound. And when we are... You know, trusting things to God, well, we usually end up with more than when we started, even though we should be, by the logic of this world, poorer than when we started, uh, because God blesses in ways that we can't even begin to, to understand. Uh, verse 14, when the people saw that, uh, saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who was to come into the world. All right. Now they got, they've had all of these other signs, but now this is the sign they really like. <laughs> the healings were great, but this is the one that confirms in their mind, okay, this really is the prophet. This really is, but what do they say about him? The, the prophet who is to come into the world. Uh, it's not wrong, but it's not entirely right either, is it? What does that reference usually indicate the prophet? It's usually more an indication of the Elijah who is to come. Well, who was the Elijah who is to come? That was John. So they're kind of missing the point, right? They're seeing the signs. They're hearing the words from Jesus but they're still not having the understanding of who Jesus is. They still want to pigeonhole him into what they think he is or they think he should be. Um, 
All right, verse 15, perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. (laughs) All right, why would they want to make this guy king? He is pretty awesome, yeah. And man, if he can produce that much food, we forget how much how hard the work was to to farm the land. You know, it, it's it's interesting. You know, farmers today, farmers work hard. They don't work hard like they used to work hard. They don't because the machinery does a lot of the work anymore. Um, you know, farmers before the Industrial Revolution, everything was by hand. I mean, you go and you, you want to, you know, take care of weeds, you go and do that by hand. You want to uh, plant seed, you got to do that by hand. Even if you're using animals to do the work, if you've worked with animals, you know that that's not easy work. <laughs> that's a lot of labor. And then you have things like famine, you know, we live in a world of abundance, don't we? Our biggest problem with food is there's too much of it, and it's too readily available, and uh, the kind of food that we have available is usually not very good for our waistline. Uh, carbs are just everywhere. You go to the grocery store, and it, it's everywhere you look. And for these people, starvation was a very real possibility. You know, you have one bad year, one year of famine, you, you might not make it through the winter. Um, you know, being able to have food supplied endlessly sounds wonderful. We want this guy to be king. You know, the Romans, they, they do pretty well with this whole agriculture thing, but that, it's nothing like this. Um, so they want to make, they want to force him to be king. Now, it's kind of a hilarious statement there, isn't it? Because he already is. <laughs> what they really mean is, we want to make you to be, be the kind of king we want for ourselves. It's just like in the Old Testament. We want a king. You don't want a king. Yes, we do. All of the other nations have kings. We want a king. Okay, the king's going to exploit you and tax you and take your stuff away from you, and you're going to be miserable because of this sweet, we want a king. Oh, my goodness. Come on, guys. You have God as your king. You don't want that. Well, no, we do. So Jesus is the, the king that they need, but they have in their own minds the king that they want. That can be a problem for us, can't it? It's part of why we need to be in the word is to be reminded of the king that we have so that we're not creating the king that we desire of our, of our own wills, right? So that we see the God that is rather than create a God of our own desires. Hey, that takes us back to Wednesday night, doesn't it? We talked a lot about that. All right, I'm out of time. Um, Anything more on that first part of chapter 6? We're going to come back to that section because it's really relevant for verses 22 and following. Anything? All right. Matt, 
friend of mine and she had just gone through a really rough time and I, I was like, I want to give her Starbucks uh, because she had mentioned that she um, splurged on a Starbucks on the way. And I was like, oh my gosh, she doesn't even have the money for that. Um, but I didn't have a lot of money and I was like, I don't know, should, should I, should I not? Um, I ended up giving her like 10 bucks. She's unknown without me asking on my support team mm. for a monthly donation of ten dollars a month. And I was wow. like, yes, I should have given her twenty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Why was I so cheap? <laughs> <laughs> but it was just like one of those things that was like, oh my god, That's I awesome. can't believe how yeah. I was like thinking in my mind, do I have money for this? Right. And God just gave it back to me more yeah. than yeah, and, 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 and you know, we got to be careful that we don't turn this into, well, if I give, God must, right? right. But, but we trust, right? Well, okay, I, I can help with this. I'm going to help with this. And, and God's going God's gonna to bless me in the way that he knows is best. But some, it is nice to have those sometimes, uh, those like, you know, knock you up the side of the head. Oh, yeah, okay, all right, I got it. Thank you, God. All right. Okay, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word and for revealing Jesus to us in your word. Uh, What a blessing that we can read and hear the voice of Jesus. We ask that you would help us uh, to trust in, in you, to trust in Jesus, knowing that our needs will be supplied by you. Trusting even when it is difficult to trust that you will find a way to provide. Uh, we, we ask that you would increase our faith uh, and that you would help us uh, t- to be like that boy who offered up the five loaves, uh, the barley loaves, and the two fish, trusting that uh, in your hands it would be sufficient. Uh, we thank you for the supply of, of goods that you give to us and for the mercy that you have on us. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.